Dear God, we come before you this morning with an humble heart and a grateful spirit. We know in whom our strength lies and that you are our source. We need you to come to us, O Lord, at this moment with unction and anointing and with liberty. Move upon us, O God, that your word will go forth with great power. Your word is sharp, it's quick, it's powerful. Your word can heal. Your word can bind up brokenness. Your word can instruct us in righteousness. Your word can convict us of our error. And right now, O God, we lay ourselves bare before your word. May your word do for us, O Lord, this morning what the Spirit wills and purposes for this service. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The early church in the book of the Acts of the Apostles was a very vibrant force among negative and critical people. They were faced with a religious system that was opposed to their message and opposed to their objective to reach the world with the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. I believe that a light shines brightest when the background is darkest. When God does his best work is when things seem to be uh, overwhelming and seem to be out of hand and out of control. There was a deacon in the early church. His name was Stephen. He was a man that was close to God. He was a man that loved God and walked with God. And sometimes having a heart for God will bring you into conflict with your surroundings and relationships that you may have. And such was the case in the early church and the elders in Jerusalem. Stephen sat in just such a council where there was no faith in the blood of Jesus and there was no real reverence for what Jesus did while he was here on this earth. And as part of the Pharisees and Sadducees that made up the Sanhedrin court, then Stephen found himself oftentimes speaking about a Christ and speaking about a message that the other members of the council did not agree with. And such is the occasion of our text this morning. In Acts chapter 7, the Bible tells us that Stephen gave an answer One verse before I proceed to the main body of the text. To whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts they turned back again into Egypt. In the 51st verse, after giving such a lengthy dissertation about how God had brought, starting with Abraham, a a nation to realize that they were in bondage and needed deliverance that they were in Egypt, the place where God never intended them to stay. It was a blessing that turned into a curse. You see, if you stay too long where God doesn't intend you to permanently dwell, you'll pick up some habits and you'll develop some mindsets that will enslave you and will cause you misery and much pain. God did great things for Israel. And as Stephen rehearsed all of that before the council, he realized that he wasn't speaking to receptive ears and receptive hearts. 
So in the 51st verse, he said, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, you just continue to do the same things. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they've slain them which showed forth of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they wouldn't hear the gospel of Jesus. But when they heard of their wrongdoings and their lack of faith, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed upon him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, I don't want you to overlook that. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing on the right hand and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. You see, I've come this morning to proclaim to you alongside Stephen that salvation is a matter of the heart. The Bible says that with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. The Bible says that from the heart we have obeyed that form of doctrine that was delivered unto us. You see, on the inside of every one of us, there is the seat of our emotions. There's the seat of our feelings. There's the center of our spirit person. And the Bible just simply calls that our heart, our heart. Now we know the physical organ of the heart, it pumps blood. It is a physical, I'm talking about a spiritual part of you that is called the heart from which you develop. In fact, the Bible just simply says, out of the heart flow all of the issues of life. The heart is our resolution center. It's where we go to resolve the things that happen in our life. It's where we process things. It's how we, well, I just call it where the rubber of our faith meets the road of reality. It's where we, for lack of a better time, cipher. It's where we go to figure out how we're going to respond to certain things that happen in our life or what we hear with our ears and are challenged to believe. Salvation starts out with a matter of a heart being changed. And it happens when your eyes are opened. It happens when you realize you become convicted of of sin. But a hard heart can cause you to miss salvation. And a hard heart can make you miss the will of God. John 12 and 40, Jesus said this, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I would heal them. In other words, if you can ever see with spirit eyes what God wants to do in your life and your heart, then a conversion can take place. A change can take place. But it has to begin with you seeing with your eyes. Not just with these eyes. Hopefully you see well with them. But he's talking about the eyes of the soul. The eyes of your heart. The eyes of your spirit. And notice that correlation and that connection between 
how, how or what you see with what you really believe and act upon. You see, a lot of folks will say to me, well, that's just the way you see it. Brother Coker, A.N., used to tell me, he would say often, if you see that the way Bo Coker sees it, you'd see that the way God sees it. Well, that's pretty convinced, isn't it? Well, truth is, we all have a seer. Every one of us have a seer. And it matters how you see things. Because sometimes you don't see correctly. Somehow the the lens becomes obscured with events in your life and things you're going through and you just don't see right. In fact, the Apostle Paul just simply said, now we see through a glass darkly. That is, it's opaque. You can't see really through it. Now we're looking through a lens that really isn't clear enough for us to understand. But there's coming a time we'll understand it better by and by. Yeah, there's going to come a time when we shall see face to face and we shall know as we are known. But for the time being, we have to trust the Word of God to direct our steps. We have to trust the Word of God to give us information to make good choices. You know, I preached the other Sunday that you have to have faith to make right choices. By faith, Moses chose not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but he chose rather to suffer the afflictions of God's people than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. We're saved when our hearts become converted. So the objective, if seeing and change of heart is connected then Satan's job is to keep us from seeing correctly. Wow. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, if our gospel be hid, it is hidden unto them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus should shine unto them who is the image of God and that light appears to us and gives revelation. What is that? That Jesus is really who he says he is. He's really the son of God. He's really the savior of the world. He's really the gift of God's grace. He's really the propitiation for our sins. He is really the one who brings salvation. For there is salvation in no other. Neither is there any name under heaven whereby we must be saved. But at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Could you give him some praise? The light of the gospel lets you know that Jesus is the answer. The light of the gospel lets you know that Jesus forgives and pardons our sins. The light of the gospel teaches us that the blood of Jesus washes white as snow. Sins that were as scarlet and and transgressions that were as crimson are made to be white like wool because Jesus washes them. In fact, the apostle said, and he gave a great catalog of, of people that were unconverted, idolaters and, and all kinds of people. And he said, of such were some of you. Of such were some of you. But 
ye were washed. Can anybody say, thank God I got washed? Because when I got washed, it changed my whole life. When I got washed, hallelujah, I was no longer an alien and a foreigner, but I became a child of God. When I got washed, I became a member of the household of God. When I got washed, my sins were washed away and my name was placed in the Lamb's book of life. And I rejoice and praise him today because that light came on in my life and I realized who Jesus was. Children of God. Romans 10 and 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So then you're saying that our heart and our mouth is attached? Yes, the Bible says if you'll just listen to someone talk, you'll understand what's in their heart because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Come on, somebody. Brother, when you're around people that never mention Jesus, I, I was with a, a preacher friend not long ago. In fact, there were a bunch of us. And uh, you know where I'm around, I'm always preaching. Just because I walk out of this pulpit, I don't quit preaching. Amen. If I'm sitting beside you, I'll preach to you. If you ask me a question, I'll probably preach to you. Sometimes you all you have to do is say hello and I'll start preaching to you. Amen. Because that's what I am and that's what I'm called to do. And it's what I'm going to be doing. Amen. Till he comes. Praise the Lord. One of them said, is that a, he looked over and he said, is that all y'all talk about? I said, Yeah. Is that all y'all got to talk about? Some sermon or some song or some testimony? Is that all you got to talk about? Yeah! Praise God. Sing me a song about Jesus. Preach me a sermon about Jesus. Tell me a testimony about Jesus' love and grace. My God, what else would you want to hear than that Jesus Christ is the Savior of lost souls? Hallelujah. That's right. Give the Lord some praise in this house. Romans 6 and 17. But God be thanked. Are there any thankful people in this room this morning? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart. Something happened in your heart. God, shine that light of the gospel upon your heart and expel the darkness and reveal the glory of the Lord Jesus. Something happened. You obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered unto you. And then we became children of God. But I want to tell you something. That was a great, great day when God translated me and delivered me from the power of darkness and translated me into the kingdom of his dear son. What a change of heart happened in my life. What a turnaround happened in my life. But I want to tell you, that was the beginning of the journey. I found out that my heart sometimes needs restoration. Sometimes my heart needs strengthening. Sometimes my heart needs encouraging. Sometimes I need an overhaul in my heart. Sometimes my spirit, my soul gets weary 
and sometimes I need to be refreshed in my spirit and refreshed in my heart, but I'm in touch with my heavenly Father who knows my heart, in touch with a Jesus who is in touch with my heart, who ever lives to make intercession for me and my heart condition. He has good plans for me. He has a great purpose for me. He's got a wonderful, wonderful tomorrow for me to participate in because my heart has been changed. And he knows, he knows, he knows how to succor them that are wounded and those that are weak. He knows that life gets tough. He knows that life can sometimes be unbearable. He knows the many things that are placed upon your back and placed upon your plate that you didn't deserve and you didn't think it was going to happen. You don't know where it came from. It came all of a sudden. It didn't tell you it was coming. It just happened. And suddenly you find yourself with a heart that's full of stress and full of anxiety and full of fear. But it's at that time that the great physician who is a great cardiologist comes down and whoa, comes down and touches you in your heart, in your soul, and heals you. Heals you. He heals you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Children of God, walking the walk, maintaining, maintaining, striving, pressing, traveling, urging, going on. Whole brother Jack Carter used to get up to testify on Wednesday night. And he'd say, well, I thank God this Wednesday night finds me pressing on up the highway. What highway is that? It's Isaiah chapter 35. He said, there shall be a way there. And it shall be called the highway of holiness. Praise God. And it's so holy and it's so pure that no no unclean thing shall walk thereupon. I just simply call it highway 35. That's that straight gated way. It's that narrow way that leads unto life. And Jesus said, few there be that find it. I want to be one of the few, don't you? I said, I want to be part of the few. I'm going through, I'm going through, I'm going through. I'll take the way of the Lord's despised few. I've started for heaven and I'm going through. Praise God. That doesn't say that there aren't times when I need more grace. That doesn't say that there aren't times when I need a touch of refreshing of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't say that sometimes things happen that hurt my heart, that cause me to stumble along. Sometimes I get knocked to my knees. But thanks be to God, there's a Savior nearby to reach down and take me by the hand and lift me up and say, let's try that again. Let's get going again. We're not going to stop. We're not going to let this stop us. We're not going to throw in the towel. We're not going to quit. 
We're going to keep going because we've got heart. We've got heart. We got something the devil don't have. The Bible said the wicked flee when no man pursues. They don't have heart. You know what the righteous do? The righteous say, tell the enemy I'm coming. Glory to God, I want the devil in hell to know what time I get up every morning. I want him to turn to somebody, oh no, he's up. Glory to God, I don't want him to terrify me, I want to terrify him. I want to let him know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I want him to know that the God who said all power is given unto me both in heaven and in earth abides with us and in us. He empowers us. He said, behold, you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay their hands upon the sick and they shall recover. Oh, glory to God. You've got the power of God in your life. Got the power. Maintain. Go forward. Don't retreat. Go forward. Vince Lombardi took the Green Bay Packers, an expansion team. He built a powerhouse at New York, the New York Giants. He went to a little old place called Green Bay, Wisconsin. Didn't have a pretty field, didn't have a big field. Was at a college campus. Didn't have a great coach. Had a guy named Lambeau that he coached there. But the most prolific coach in football took the most insidious place to take a franchise. Green Bay. Not hardly big as Birmingham. Little bit bigger than Aniston. My Lord, he won games and got to the final against his old team, the New York Giants. Went to the locker room at halftime and they were losing behind. And he looked at those off-scouring players that they'd thrown over to him that were in the twilight of their career and looked him in the eye and said, boys, we're going to win this one. And they looked up. He said, because we got something that they don't have. They've got better equipment. They've got a better stadium. They're bigger than us. they got a greater fan base than us. But they don't have our heart. We've got the heart that it takes to win. I want to tell you, if you're a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're washed in the blood and filled with the Spirit, then you've got heart. You've got something that the enemy doesn't have. You've got something that keeps you going when others quit. You've got something that says, I'm going to press on when others say, I've had enough. You've got something inside you that says, I can make it when others say, I can't take no more. You can go one more step. You'll go another mile. You'll make it to the end of the way because you've got heart. Oh, you got to have heart. got to have heart. And the devil is doing everything in his power to keep you from having heart. Are you listening to me? There will be things that will happen in your life. You may even be like Samson. 
Samson in Judges 16. How many of you know that the devil does his homework and he investigates and he checks you out? I said he checks you out. He's got you in the card catalog. He knows how to confront you because he can't build the weapon until he knows what you're vulnerable to. He can't plan the scheme. He can't put the snare together until he knows your habits and knows how you act and what it takes to make you quit. But he don't calculate too well. He thought he calculated and he challenged God about Job. But he missed that one. He said, if you'll let me, I'll cause him to curse you to, his, to your face. But the Bible said in all of this, Job did not sin with his mouth, neither did he charge God foolishly. He said, I esteem the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. When challenged to throw in the towel and quit by his own wife, he said, that's foolishness. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away and blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Though the skin worms devour this body of mine, yet in my flesh shall I see God. These eyes shall behold him and not another. I know that my Redeemer lives and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. Oh, bless me God, he missed that one. Thought he had Samson. Planted a scheme because he knew where Samson was vulnerable. While Samson was going down to the camp of the Philistines and laying his head in the lap of Delilah. And she began, oh, I can preach about Delilah. When he laid his head in the lap of Delilah, and she said, don't you love me? Listen, guys, the devil will put that pretty little thing in your way to make you lose heart make you lose out with God. He'll paint you some beautiful illusion, some picture of happiness. I'm just not happy. My God, you wouldn't know happiness if it walked up and shook hands with you. Happiness is not in wealth and it's not in riches. Happiness is not in prosperity and gold and silver as some men count richness. God doesn't look at it that way. That, well, that will never make you happy. This world will never satisfy that longing in your soul. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Not riches, not wealth, not power, and not fame. All will leave a vacuum until you've known the love of God, until you've met the Lord Jesus, then you don't know what happy is. Somebody say amen, that's good preaching. While she tempted him, tell me, well, it's in these green widths. If you'll tie me up with that, I lose my power. I'll just be like ordinary, listen to what he said, I'll be like just an ordinary man. What does that tell me? 
it tells me that an anointed man is not just an ordinary man. But when he lays his head in the lap of Delilah and starts bartering and trading off his heart. Come on, somebody. Trading off his heart. How can you say, I love you when you won't confide in me? Come on now, guys. It was a woman in the garden that started all this. And she was a beautiful knockout, I'm telling you. And she's the one that took the forbidden fruit and walked over and said to a hen-pecked husband, Come on, somebody. Eat this. My Lord, man, stand up and say, Why, no, woman, I'm not eating that. But Amy, he just galloped it on down. Come on, somebody. Next thing you know, we're getting kicked out. Next thing you know, all of you in this room became a part of what he did. Next thing you know, we're all under that one curse. Because, yeah, you're getting the picture. How can you say you love me? You say you love me, but you don't love me. When you won't confide in me, this is the third time you've made a fool out of me. Now, a woman don't like being made a fool of. Amen. You've made a fool out of me and you haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Next verse. With such nagging. That's your NIV. It says it different in the King James, but it says nagging. right? With such nagging. I'm sorry, women. I didn't mean to do this to y'all today. I promise. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Boy, I better sit down. Because, buddy, when these women get through beating me up with their pocketbook, I'm going to be in a mess. Can you believe that she got him to the place that he was so sick? He was sick to death. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. Oh, Lord, don't trade away your power, man. Don't give up. Don't, don't become a, a victim of that trap. Don't fall for that line. Don't fall for that line. The King James says, so he told her his whole heart. He told her everything that was in his heart. Hey, you need to guard your heart. I said you need to guard your heart. You don't need to be telling the devil what all is in your heart. You don't need to be telling your adversary, your enemy, about your heart. I'll become just as weak as any other man. 
And suddenly, in came the Philistines. While he slept, she shaved his head off. And when the Philistines came in and rose up, he had no power. And they took him. And the Bible said they gouged out his eyes. You see, there's some connection between losing heart and not being able to see. We pointed that early in the sermon. There's a connection by the heart and seeing. They figured if we can just get him where he can't see, we'll have him. And the Bible said like an oxen, he was pushing the mill around. And the Bible said they were making sport of him and laughing at him. And they were making a clown out of him. You see, that beautiful tale that Delilah told was just the scheme to get you in. Now that you're in, you're miserable. And you're being made fun of and laughed at. And you're grinding like an animal. You're reduced to just an animal. You can't see. And the Bible said he said to somebody, I need some help here. Brother, that's when things turn around. What God is saying, the day you determine you need help, that's the day you'll start picking up and returning back to where you need to be. Somebody, I need some help. Somebody, I need to make a recovery. Somebody, I need to get a healing. Somebody, I want to be used of God again. Somebody, I need to be positioned. Somebody's got to get me in the right place. Would somebody lead me to where the pillars are that hold this whole thing up? Glory to God. Someone took him and he said, so I can lean on him. And he prayed a prayer. You ever heard his prayer? Maybe he had. Let me tell you what he said. He said, Lord, one more time. One more time. God just one more time, just one more time, God, let my strength come back. Lord, one more time, let my power return. One more time, God, let my heart feel what it felt that, that day that I did those miracles, that, that day that I was in charge of my life. I was the one that picked up the gates of Gaza and carried them 30 miles. I'm the one that smoked the Philistines and killed a thousand of them at a time. I'm the one. I was doing what I wanted to do. But now, God, I've come to realize I need help. I need help to do what I used to do by myself. And I need your help. One more time. And the Bible said he pulled and he pushed on those pillars until they broke and were shattered and the thousands and hundreds of thousands that was on the roof celebrating their victory over Samson, he stopped the celebration party. I said he stopped the celebration party. I want to tell you, there was a time when hell was having a party. There was a time when hell was celebrating. We've killed him. We've got him in a grave up there in a garden. 
and we're holding him captive. And we've got soldiers out, outside. We've got a seal of the Roman governor upon the, on the tomb and no man can break it. We've got him. Let's celebrate. Let's get in here. Let's dance. Let's have a hoedown. We've got him. We defeated him. We beat him. But on that great day, very early in the morning, an angel came and rolled the stone away. And the Lord Jesus arose. And that angel said, you've come to seek him. He's not here. He is risen indeed. Praise God, I'm here to tell you. Death could not hold him. The grave could not sustain him. He who made all things, the word of God, arose and broke up the party. Come on and help me quit, Connor. Sometimes difficulties come. I don't mind telling you. This church knows all about difficulty. Everybody looks at us. When I walked in at camp meeting the other night, Stanley Owensby walked up to me and looked me in the eye and he said to me, he said, I've admired your church for a long time. They must have a lot of heart. A lot of heart. I took about 10 steps and I saw Doug Baker. And Doug Baker looked at me and he said, I like your heart. I said, well, God, what in the world are you doing and I walked in and sat down by Ken Hall on the third row from the front on the right side. And he looked over at me and he said, you got to have heart. And God said, you preach that Sunday morning to my people and tell them you've got to have heart. Got to have heart. That old determination. That old will, that old stick-to-it-ism that causes you to say, I'll not quit. I'll not give up. I will finish my course. I will go the last mile. In Psalm 119, when talking about these Israelites who lost heart, in fact, the Bible said after they got out of Egypt on an 80-year process, they'd stayed too long in Egypt. Picked up bad habits. Didn't know how to worship. Didn't know how to communicate with God. Got out in the wilderness. And you would think they would have such confidence. But Hebrews 3 says that when they got up there, they provoked God to anger. Because of the hardness of their heart. In fact, the Bible said when Moses didn't come back like they thought he would, they just lost heart. Lost heart. And said, well, that God that we've heard about can't trust him anymore you women bring us your gold you men bring your gold we're going to form us a calf and we're going to make a golden calf and worship it brother what in the world could get you so down in heart that you'd change gods I talked to a young man's wife last week and she said, pray for my husband. Said, he's lost heart. He's lost heart. They went to Memphis to plant a church. Things didn't work out. It didn't happen like they taught it in the school. What the book says, follow all of that. 
But in reality, that didn't work out. And somehow he lost confidence and felt like God had left him and God had forsaken him. I plan to make a road to Memphis soon because I want to talk to that broken-hearted, down-in-spirit person and tell him, God has not given up on you. God is not one that breaks his word. God keeps his word. God keeps his word. In Psalm 119, long about the 112th verse, Thy testimonies, verse 111, Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Thy testimonies, I've decided this is going to be forever. I've decided, God, this is always going to be the way it is. I've decided that, Lord, when death comes, it will find me serving you. God, I'm going all the way. It's going to be forever. You see that up there? It shall be my heritage forever. And because I am forever committed, I'm committed to always, and that causes the joy of my heart to rejoice. Boy, isn't that great? I love that. Let me finish. Verse 112. I have inclined my heart. Inclined my heart. I have inclined my heart. You mean we have control over our heart? You mean we can say to our heart, stop acting like that, stop feeling that, quit saying that. That's not true, and I don't want to hear that anymore out of you. You call it self. I say to myself. Have you ever said to your heart, Heart, why are you so upset inside me? Why are you acting such a way? Hope in God. That's what David did, isn't it? A heart. I want to tell you this. The Bible said, set your heart. Set your heart on things that are above. You mean you can set it? Yeah. You see, as long as you set your heart on things above and not on things on earth. As long as you incline your heart. Now let me tell you what happens when you start dealing with difficulty. Instead of inclining your heart, your heart starts to decline. Instead of incline going up, it starts sliding back down the hill. And don't sit there and act like you've never experienced that. Right here this morning, someone said to me, Pastor, pray for me. I'm really not where I need to be with God. Some unfortunate thing, some quirk of fate, some incident happened that just couldn't get over. Some conversation that you just couldn't get out of your mind. Something somebody said, something somebody did that you just can't get past it. And suddenly, you, instead of inclining your heart, because it's not getting any incline to progress, it's starting to decline. Boy, it got quiet in here, didn't it? Incline, I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. 
Listen, don't trust your heart. Don't give your heart away. Don't put your heart in the hands of people that don't have your best interest at heart. Anybody listening to this, Pastor? Before you walk down that aisle, you find out how he or she feels about the God that you serve. You find out how he or she feels about the Bible, about the Word of God. You find out. Don't you jump in there. Don't you throw your heart away. Somebody will crush your heart. They'll break your heart. I said they'll break your heart. You set your heart. You incline your heart. Don't be so quick to throw your heart away to people who don't care. The trouble then is that, that if the heart is not inclined, it starts to decline. Well, that's two pages of 15. I've got to quit. Well, somebody said, just follow your heart. Don't you do that. Well, I'm just going to give you some advice. Here's what I did. I just followed my heart. Wrong. Don't do that. Why? Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. If you're not careful, your heart will deceive you. Come on somebody. There's people sitting here today right now whose heart's deceived. They think something is true when there ain't a word of truth to it. And their heart's deceived. And the devil's got you paralyzed. Sitting over in a corner. Withdrawn. Not participant. Because you believed something in your heart. That the devil planted there to get you to where you are right now. Come on somebody. That took a lot of boldness to say that. Our enemy has schemes and devices to decline our hearts. His job, his motive is to get our heart to where we're so depressed and down that we'll be ineffective in doing anything for God. Let me tell you one more story and then I'll quit. Second Kings, Elisha. Elisha's cool, isn't he? I like Elisha. He's cool. Ella Grace told me that. He's cool. He's in a city. And he's calm. He's relaxed. And his servant, Gehazi, walks outside and looks. And all over the hills around the city, there's chariots and there's horses and there's soldiers. And Gehazi runs back in the dwelling and he says, Oh, Elisha. Let me see what he said. He said, Oh, no. I promise if you'll read it, that's exactly what it says. He said, Oh, no. Look at it right up there. Does that know what it says? 2 Kings 6 15. Oh, no. Have you ever had an oh, no? I said, Have you ever had a Oh, no. Job said, that that I feared the most came upon me. And you said, oh, no. The doctor may have told you something and you said, oh, no. The investment banker down there, 
that's got your retirement might have told you something and you said, oh, no. You can get old no's from a lot of sources. That mechanic working on your car, you thought it was just a fuse. And he calls you up and says it's going to have to have a motor job, $4,000. And you said, That husband of 25 years walks in and says, I'm unhappy and I'm leaving. And you said, oh, no. Those oh, no times. Some of you women didn't say oh, no. Some of you said, oh, yeah. I'm not going to go there, darling. I'm not going to touch that don't know. Gehazi. Oh no, my Lord. And he asked the question, what shall we do? Oh no, what in the world are we going to do? And I love what he said next verse. And he said, don't. Well, you're not answering the question. The question is, what are we going to do? And you say, don't. What he was saying was, I'm going to tell you what we're not going to do. Sometimes you need to know what you're not going to do. Because sometimes it's more important what you're not going to do than it is what you're going to do. Don't be afraid. You gotta be kidding me. Lord, you see all this army. We're overwhelmed. We're outnumbered. We haven't got a chance. And listen to what he said. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. See, some of you just don't know how to count. Sometimes God does things that you just don't count right. You think you're outnumbered, but you're really outnumbering the enemy. You, you think sometimes the problem's bigger than you are, but really you're bigger than the problem. Sometimes you see the things and the need that's there is greater than your resources, but actually your resources are greater than the need. Because God said, I will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Hey, we don't count like God does. And Elisha said, they that be for us are greater than they that be for them. And then he prayed a prayer, I'm trying to hush. Next verse. And Elisha prayed said, Lord, open his eyes. What's the matter with his eyes? Well, there's actually something wrong with his heart. But his eyes are the window that his heart are seeing out of. And he's seeing overwhelmed. He's seeing frightening things. He's seeing things that cause his heart to melt. And Lord, we need his eyes to be changed and the scale to fall off of his eyes. He can't see correctly. 
He sees what the devil wants him to see. He sees what the enemy has planned and programmed for him to see. But God, you've got the real thing. I want you to take the fade off and I want you to take off the scales and I want you to let him see the real picture like it really is. Then the Lord opened his eyes. Makes your heart feel better when the Lord opens your eyes. I said, when you see things correctly, your heart feels better. When he saw and he had the scales fall off of his eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, God's given us a promise. The fire won't consume you. The fire won't overwhelm you. The flood waters may rise, but the flood will not overflow you. God is with us, not against us. Hallelujah. We're above and not beneath. Hallelujah. We're the head and not the tail. We're blessed and not cursed. We're victor, not a victim. And God has so fixed it that if we see correctly and see like God wants us to see, our heart will feel better. And we'll rejoice. Stand with me, please. I thank God I met Stanley Owensby and Doug Baker and Ken Hall at camp meeting the other night because I've enjoyed preaching what God gave me to tell you today. You gotta have heart. You gotta have heart. Can you imagine when the king, Ahasuerus, said to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, I have messed up so bad. I have really blown it. You're my friend. I don't want anything bad to happen to you, but I was tricked into passing some legislation. And it says that if you hear the music and you don't bend, you don't bow, or you pray. In fact, they told me that you was praying three times a day. And it was a problem for them, and they they made a a law and a decree and, and got me to sign it that anybody that does that, Praise to the God of heaven has got to go in a lion's den. Buddy, that's when most of us would have had a heart attack. Lions? You've got to be kidding me. But Daniel looked at the king, and the king was so tore up, and he was wasted, he was frightened, and he said, Hey, calm down. It's going to be all right. Don't worry about that. He said, the God that I serve. There's no danger in that lion's den. There's no problem for me. I plan to go to sleep, and I expect you to do the same thing. I'm going to spend the night and the lion's rest hotel. And I see him, Stephen, as he went on down and got in the lion's den. Probably pulled one of the cubs up and used it for a pillow and put his head on it and went to sleep. And the next morning, very early, the king crept down the stairs and he said, Oh, Daniel, is your God able to deliver you from the mouth of the lions? 
He didn't say, did you sleep good? He didn't say, did you dream anything? He said, how about your God? Did your God show up? Did your God come on the scene? Did your God do what you said he would do? Did your God be faithful to what he said? How about your God? And Daniel, wiping the sleep out of his eyes, raised up and said, O king, live forever. For the Lord has sent his angel this night and shut the mouths of the lions. Oh, who is on the Lord's side? If God be for us, who could be against us? You gotta have heart. I said, you gotta have heart. Glory to God. Point your hand up here at this pulpit. I'm gonna pray for you. God, in Jesus' name, I bring every soul under this roof right now before the altar of God. Right now, oh God, I focus my whole attention upon you looking right straight into your wonderful face. Everything of this earth, oh Lord, is secondary at this moment. But right now, oh Lord, I bring this flock of God as a shepherd into your presence. I know, oh Lord, that there are wounded lambs. I know that there are lambs that the wolves have growled at this week. There are lambs, God, that the bears have snared at this week. But God, we're happy to find ourselves this morning in the presence of the Good Shepherd. I ask you, oh God, that you would do what you do. That you would be who you are. That you would love and with grace and with great power and great anointing that you would keep the flock of God safe and that we would determine in our hearts that nothing is going to hinder me. I'm going to serve the Lord all of my days. All of my life I'm going to trust Him. Times may come and afflictions may appear in my life, but the Lord delivers out of them all. I am yours, God. You are mine. I'm your daughter. I'm your son. I'm your child. And my heavenly Father watches over me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, for about 30 seconds, could you offer up the greatest praise that you can give to the Lord this morning? Let's magnify Him. Let's praise Him. Let's worship Him. Lord, dismiss us now from this place, but not Your sight. Go with us, O Lord, through these summer summer holiday weekends and vacation times. God, be with all of our people. Keep us safe from harm and danger. We'll give You praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you and God go with you is my prayer. You have a safe day and a good week this week.